Good morning, everybody. And that's my lovely wife, by the way. Wouldn't y'all give her a hand? It's our anniversary today, so we're celebrating a, a lot of years together. I lose track of the number, but uh, it's good to be here. <laughs> time's just going back so fast, you know, when you're having fun and all that stuff, right? Uh, like my lovely wife Shannon said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Uh, I know you have plenty of options. You've drove, driven past dozens of churches to get here, and so it's not lost on us that you have choices, and in the parlor of choices, you choose us. And so we say thank you and welcome uh, for those of you who are uh, here today with us, especially in person, and those of you who are watching us online. I want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are uh, visiting for the first time or the second time or for the first time in a long time. So glad to have you here with us uh, this morning. Well, before I get into the word this morning, some of you know this, but others of you uh, may not know this, particularly those of you who are new, is that in June of 2009, a group of us moved from the Champaign-Urbana to the south suburbs here to start this church. And so while November is our anniversary where we started our church, uh, June is the anniversary where we uh, first moved here, sold our homes, quit our jobs, and set out on this adventure to start the South Suburban Vineyard Church. So Shantae, you put up that picture of this is us, uh, this is our original church plant team, and you may not know this if you don't follow church planting and church planting news, but it's really, really odd, really, really strange for your entire church plant team to be still hanging with you some 14 years later. And we're celebrating 14 years. And so would you put up that next picture? So, yeah. Every year in June, our original team, we call them the SSVOGs, we get together uh, have a uh, dinner and just reminisce on all the goodness of God. And if you saw that first picture, you know we've add, you notice we've added a few uh, people. We call this, you know, natural church growth, which basically means you just have children. Uh, and there's a couple of children uh, missing out of that picture. But um, this group is to be celebrated. Um, they are the spine and backbone of this church, and part of the reason why. Our church is uh, flourishing in this season is because of these people. Some of them are on staff. Some of them are just serving in various corners of the vineyard. They are the heart and soul of this church. And so would you just give this team one hand <laughs> on our anniversary? Well, let me get into the word today. Like Shannon said, today I, get to, I have the privilege of beginning a brand new teaching series, a series that I'm simply calling Go tell it. And I'm super excited about this series because it's so important because this is going to be a four-week jog, a four-week crash course on the subject of evangelism. The subject of evangelism, and evangelism is maybe not a big Christian word. It's a medium Christian word that simply means spreading the Christian faith, the Christian message, the Christian gospel by public preaching and proclamation and or personal witness. I'll say that again, evangelism is the spreading of the Christian faith, the Christian message, the Christian gospel by public preaching and proclamation or and through personal witness. And this is super important because maybe you've forgotten, maybe you hadn't considered the fact that you're sitting here today, out of all the things that you can be doing on a Sunday morning, out of all the places you can be, you're sitting here today 
likely because somebody told you about Jesus. Think about that for a second. You are sitting here today in a Christian church because one or more people engaged you in some kind of evangelistic effort. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was direct. Maybe it was indirect. Maybe their light was just so bright in the dark place where you were that they stood out and you watched them from afar and you wondered to yourself, what is it about that person? And you come to find out that they followed and served Jesus. Everybody, 100% of us, is here today because of some evangelistic effort. Maybe you grew up in a household where faith was important, and your parents uh, talked about it, and your parents sat down and opened the scripture to you, and your parents stewarded your character and taught you in the ways of Jesus. Maybe you uh, heard it from a sibling or a neighbor or a friend, maybe your coworker talk to you about Jesus, or maybe there was a teacher or a coach, or maybe you turned on TV or you were scrolling through social media or any other media outlet and you heard about Jesus. But if you're here today, or if you're listening to me online, you have been sort of intersected by some kind of evangelistic effort. And on top of all that, the idea of evangelism was a big part of Jesus's personal Mission In Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19, this is so central to who we are and what we're supposed to do. This is like the third week in a row that we're referencing this passage. Jesus goes to the synagogue, a scroll is handed to him, and he reads from the scroll, and, and, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news, another version says to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And this is a prophetic picture of what Messiah would do, what Jesus would do uh, when he would come to the earth. And Jesus is essentially saying this prophetic prediction about me is being fulfilled this very day. This is Jesus' personal mission to do what? To declare, to proclaim, and demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand to share and to demonstrate the good news. And so it would follow that those of us who would follow Jesus, those of us who would seek to be like Jesus, for those of us who would seek to build for the kingdom in our little sphere of the life that God has given us to lead, would follow Jesus, would continue his ministry by doing as he did. And so we see in Matthew chapter 28, this is known as the Great Commission. It's great for a reason because it's the way that the gospel is to spread around the world. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always even until the ends of the age. Friends, this is a big deal. This is what it's about. And were it not for somebody taking this commission seriously, this chart seriously, where would you and I be today? So I'm talking to you about evangelism. In case you haven't noticed, this is a hands-on, active reality. This is a powerful truth that states that we have been rescued from death 
and we should tell everybody who would listen. After all, this is what the good, this is the good news. That's simply what the gospel means. It simply means good news, and you should tell people. And you might say, that sounds easy for you to say, preacher. You're already out. You're a preacher. You're a professional Christian. You get paid to do this. It's less weird when you tell somebody about Jesus, when you speak up about Jesus, but it could be hard for us to do that. And I know that that's true. I want to acknowledge that at the outset. Most of us struggle to share the gospel with others. Most of us struggle to share our faith with others for many reasons. Among them, some of us just don't want to be that guy right? You don't want to be that girl. Uh, There is a bit of a stigma depending on where you live and where you work and where you go to school. There could be a little bit of a stigma about those crazy Christians. And we don't want to be out in that way. Some of us don't feel comfortable for any number of reasons. Some of us don't feel competent. In fact, we'll tell people about our church which is great, but I don't know if I want to get, talk about Jesus. I don't think I want to get in the deep end of the pool here. Some of us don't share because we don't know or understand it enough to confidently share it with someone else. I understand all of that, which is precisely why we're doing this four-week crash course. So you can be, by the end of this thing, maybe by the end of this Sunday, uh, one of those crazy Christians who won't shut up about this thing. One of them crazy Christians that will tell anybody who will listen. And the goal is for you to get to the place that the Apostle Paul was in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, for I am not what? I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jews first, and also the Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Paul says, I am not ashamed of this. Oh, that that would be our testimony. Oh, that that would be our declaration. Oh, that that would be our posture as followers of Jesus. Telling folks about the joy and the life that we found in him. This is the goal that we would not be ashamed because after all, this is good news. It's not just good news, it is the best news, and that's simply what I'm calling the message this morning, the best news ever. Ground zero of all of our evangelistic efforts centers and starts with the gospel, the good news. I believe it's the best news ever, and that's where we're going to start this morning, okay? And so as we present the gospel, as I present the gospel this morning, uh, it's going to be reminders to some of you. I also believe that in a room this size, that somebody's in here before that's never heard the gospel before. I just make that assumption as I climb these stairs to preach every Sunday. I just assume that there's somebody in here, that somebody's watching me that's never heard the gospel before in a clear and concise way. So this will be reminders for some, news to others, but I hope all of us will be spurred to press toward this and to take the next step. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 1, so would you meet me there in your Bibles this morning as I talk to you about the best news Ever. Romans chapter 1, I want to start at verse 18. You can use the paper Bibles that are on the edges of your row. You can also follow along with your mobile devices. We're also going to be projecting the scriptures up on the screens. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. 
Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for salvation. Thank you for this good news. Thank you that you rescued us and you made a way for us. Father, I know that some of us wrestle with the confidence to walk this out and to share this and to call those out of darkness into life. And so, Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak, that you would make the case this morning for this good news and why it's the best news. Where there is fear and trepidation, Father, give us your courage. For those of us who are here today and we are far from you, Lord, through these words, would you draw us near? And Lord, I pray that you would go before us this morning and make the crooked places straight. May our hearts be soft landing places for your word and for your truth. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 18. We're talking about the best news ever. Verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired, and as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And then the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you weren't awake eight minutes ago, I probably have your attention now. Yikes, right? He said, Preacher, you might have the wrong title on this message. I thought this was about good news. A keen observation, but you should know that the good news is in response to some very bad news. 
And Paul aptly sums up in this faithful text the human condition. Paul lays out here how we've come to find ourselves in such a precarious position and how we've come to be in such desperate need for help and rescue. What's the problem? What's the bad news before we get to the goodness? Well, in case you haven't put it together yet, we have a sin problem. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you are a mess. Turn, tell them, go ahead. <laughs> if the person you looked at has an attitude, look at the other person on the other side and say, you are a mess. And so we don't leave anybody out. Once you look at me and say, preacher, you're a mess too. I don't take that personally because you're right. In case you haven't put it together, this is what Paul's saying. We have a sin problem. And Paul lays out some very specific ways uh, that that sin problem materializes itself. The first thing he highlights is the fact that we have ignored the truth. We have ignored the truth. That is to say, we've seen the truth, we have access to the truth, we've been exposed to the truth, and somehow we have ignored it. It's actually worse than that because Paul uses the word suppressed which is active, which it's willful. You're choosing to, sm to smother or to drown out or to overpower the truth. Get in your mind somebody telling you the truth and instead of you sticking your fingers in your la 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 like you're drowning out, you're suppressing it with your wickedness. This is an active reality, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful wicked people who what? Suppress the truth with their wickedness. Suppress the truth with their wickedness. He continues, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. And I tell you, this gets me every single time I deal with this text. Paul says, it's obvious to you who God is. And he points to what I like to call the obviousness of creation. And what Paul is saying here, you might not have all the details, might not know the ins and outs, your doctrine and theology might not be airtight, but if you wanna know, if you wanna know there's a God, just like, just go outside and behold the earth and sky and the beautiful ecosystem is you can't get outside, just like move your fingers. Call one of your kids in and consider the fact that that child was like in you at one point. And somehow when that child came out of you, somehow your breast filled with milk, ready to feed them, like something's out there bigger than us. And you may not know all the details, but Paul says the obviousness of creation should tell you that there's more. And the essence of our sin is that we have actively suppressed the truth. We have actively chosen something lesser rather than the truth of who God is. He says we know better. 
What's worse, Paul says, we have worshipped idols. Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Believing they are wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols. They worshiped idols, small g gods, God substitutes. Instead of going out in nature and saying, oh my goodness, whoever made all this, I need to get on my knees and worship him. I need to figure out everything I need to know and submit my will totally to this God. Instead of doing that, we took the created things that the creator made and we worshiped people, places, and things instead of worshiping God. And I guess a question that I might set before you this morning is what do, what do you, you worship? Yeah, well, who do you worship? Well, you say, preacher, of course, Jesus. Thank you very much. I worship Jesus. What do you really worship? Huh? What do you really worship? Go, go ahead to discover.com and look up your credit card statement. And I'll tell you a lot of what you need to know. I don't know about you, but I got a screen time notification this morning that I just like to turn off as quickly as it could show up on my screen. Because in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a particular way, it reveals, right, where I'm spending my time and energy and attention. What are you worshiping? Is it food? Is it sex? Is it porn? Is it social media? Is it vanity and beauty? Is it being thought well of? Is it church? Is it success? Is it comfort? I mean, fill in the blank. What are your idols? Paul says this is one of the outworkings of our sinfulness. Instead of worshiping the creator, we have worshiped instead what? The created. This is our problem. And our problem gets worse. The bad news gets badder before we get to the good news is that God, seeing this mess, chooses to give us over to our sin. And that's the worst part. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired, and as a result, they did some crazy, wild stuff. Paul uses the word abandoned. So think about the huge gap that lies between us and God. Those of you who are far from God today, or those of you who have drifted, or those of you who have never drawn near, and everybody in the room can remember a time, it doesn't matter if we're good right now, we might be good right now, but we remember a time where there was a huge chasm between us and God, usually because of our sin, and it's usually because we just had to have something that God created so badly that God said, fine, have it. And we don't tend to think about God's wrath in that sort of passive way. When you think about God's wrath, we think God just like throwing lightning bolts. Getting you just kind of running, dodging lightning bolts because like God's throwing stuff at you. But a lot of times, uh, God's uh, wrath is, 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 is inactive. Well, the Lord just says, you want it, have it. 
you want to have it. You want that guy? You want him? Of all the options, you got to have him, have him. You got to have her? You got to have it? I mean, I'm closing that door over and over and over. You keep opening, you got to have it, and the Lord says, have it. And this is a lot of time what God's wrath looks like. He gives us over to what we've just got to have. And that's scary. I was watching some years ago, and this guy was showcasing all of these interesting weapons. And he got to this one weapon where it was this big, long whip. This big, long whip. And the guy who was interviewing him, he goes, ooh, so if I was your enemy, what would you do to me with this whip? And the guy whips the handle around. He's like, I just give it to you. Because, like, if you don't know how to do this, like, you're going to do more harm to yourself than to anybody on the other end. So if I wanted to really hurt you, I'd just give it to you. And I thought, what a picture of our sin. What a picture of this precarious place we're in, this fallen sinful humanity. The Lord just lets us have what we just got to have. And it becomes, in essence, our undoing. And some of you are in that place this very day. At this very moment, you look cute and put together. But in this very moment, that's where you are. The Lord has just said, hey. Something else we see in this text that I want to spend just a few minutes on. And can we spend just a few minutes talking about what might be the elephant in the corner. Paul, in all of these verses, he deals with our sexual ethics. And he deals with the subject of homosexuality. Verse 24, he says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires, and even the women turned against their natural way of having sex and instead indulged with sex with other people, with other women. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations, the women burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. I wanted to put a quarter in the meter this morning and just park here for just for a second because I don't know that we can have a comprehensive conversation about God, the spiritual life, faith, sin, salvation, idolatry, and not deal with our sexual ethics. Paul talks about it. I'm tempted to go around it. It'd be less messy. Folk not, might not get upset. But like Paul talks about it, and I feel like we need to go through this. And this framing of sexual immorality is consistent with how it is framed from cover to cover in Scripture. This treatment of human sexual ethics that we see in this text 
is consistent with the biblical notion that God intentionally builds a high fence around sex, which is beautiful, which is wonderful, which is God breathed like God created this wonderful thing, but he builds a really high fence around sex, and that high fence, according to Scripture, is heterosexual marriage. Now, it's interesting that Paul doesn't deal or mention anything about attraction or sexual orientation. The Scripture really doesn't. It simply notes what they actively did with their bodies. And the point that I'm trying to make here today that any serious follower of Jesus or any serious seeker must deal with these texts head on. Head on. They must wrestle them to the ground as unpopular as they are in today's culture. And I think we'll thoughtfully and more and compassionately spend time on this subject in depth in the next series that we're going to start in just a few weeks. But Paul deals with this. And it's one of the realms that we all struggle in the most. And so it behooves us to heed these words because Paul includes them among the things that contribute to our demise. Now, let me just say, some of you get just a little too excited when we start talking about this. You tell them, pastor, straighten them out. (laughs) I'm glad I go to a church where they teach the truth. Straighten them out, preacher. First of all, chill out. I've had people ask me, y'all let gay people come here? Y'all let transgender people come here? What I want to say is we let you come here. (laughs) I know all your business, we let you come. (laughs) Yes. Because we all got to sit under the same word. And Paul didn't lean his shoulder in on this and just dip out. He, he, he included everything else because he, can, he continues the list in verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Somebody say, every kind. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder. Didn't get yours yet? Okay, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. Still didn't get you yet? Okay, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. I'm so glad he put that in there, too. (laughs) Too bad the students aren't in here this morning. But you see how comprehensive that list is? And what is he saying? This list, hit, this list hits everybody in the room. Anything breathing, this list hits it. So get off your high horse and consider how God might be calling you to wrestle with this this morning. You see what I'm saying here? And so through this, Paul thoroughly sums up the problem, the bad news. And if I were to stop here, this would be really depressing. 
And it would betray the title of this sermon, The Best News Ever. Aren't you grateful that we're a good news church? Now, we're going to talk about the bad news, and we're going to call it like we see it. But aren't you glad this morning that this is a good news church? Because if you flip a few pages, we see the good news. And the good news is this, despite the mess that we're in, we just called each other messes just moments ago. Despite that, God has made a way through Christ to deal with our deepest problem and our greatest need. God has made a way through Christ to deal with our sin problem, our idolatry problem. The fact that the thing that is our undoing is the very thing that we just had to have And rather than God staying far from us, the grace of God reaches for us, moves toward us. And Paul sums it up really well in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus and this is, the true, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Get this, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, with undeserving kindness, declares that we are what? Righteous. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sins. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declared sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. This is the good news. This is the word of the Lord. This is why we're here. This is the punchline, like this is what we should be telling everything that moves. If our sin is a problem, if our sin's the bad news, the good news is that God through Christ has made a way once and for all for miserable sinners like you and me to be made right with God for eternity. That our sin has put us at odds with God. And because of our sin and because of our rebellion, we owe a debt to God that we could never, ever, ever pay. We're in over our heads. We're, the, we're impoverished in the worst possible way because this isn't a poverty of resource. This is a poverty of spirit and soul. And as such, we would never, ever be able to dig our way out from under this debt. And in essence, we deserve to die. But God, through Christ, makes a way. John 3.16 says, for, God, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him, through him. This is for all of us. In case you're still on your high horse and you haven't been knocked down yet, Paul says, 
All of us have sinned. All of us. You might sin in a respectable way. You are messed just like the rest of us. You just might have the means to have a closet to stow your skeletons in. And don't you ever forget it. Some people are just, their skeletons are too big to fit in the closet or they don't have a closet to hide it in, but we all got skeletons. And just because you got a closet, don't you go thinking you're better than us. Because we all have messed up. But Christ and God, because that sin has to be reckoned with and paid for, God heaps the debt and penalty of the world's sin onto his son who pays that price on a cross. He was crucified, humiliated for our sins, died a sinner's death. He is now resurrected and reigning. And all we have to do to lay hold of this free, eternal, consequential gift is to turn from our sin and believe upon Jesus. That's what we got to do. It'll be the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it'll be the most consequential decision of your life. This is really good news. But it's the best news because it's good news for everybody. And you can scarcely find any news that's good for everybody. Most good things have winners and losers. Most good things are good for a certain kind of person, right? You can scarcely find something that everybody can lay hold to. And that's what makes this the best news. It's the best news. In this exclusive world, only God can lay before us something that everybody, now everybody won't, but something that everybody can lay hold of this is this is the gospel and it would be a shame for us to be quiet about this kind of news like if we really believe this right if we really believe that we were dead in our sin the penalty was death that we were to spend eternity were it not for Jesus apart from him and we had the opportunity to tell somebody else. We had the opportunity to put this before our children, before our spouse, before those who live with us, before those who we work with and go to school with and rub shoulders in the marketplace with. It is spiritually criminal not to tell somebody. It is spiritually criminal for people to know you and not know about your Jesus. It's spiritually criminal for folk to follow you for years on social and not know that you're one of them crazy Jesus people. It's criminal. I mean, all the cat videos and stuff you put, like, all, all the stuff we talk about, all the things we get excited about, all the stuff we can't shut up about, we can't say a mumbling word about Jesus. This is the good news, the best news. And everything, worship team, you can come up. Everything we're going to talk about in the rest of this series like, like hinges on this gospel message. 
Now here's what I know. There's somebody in this room that this is news to you. It's not news to you that you're a mess. Maybe you hadn't heard it that way before, but you kind of knew probably why you're here. But maybe you hadn't heard the full story that God through Christ has made a way for you to be made right, to have your sins forgiven. Maybe you heard that for the first time and you said, man, that sounds really good. I want a piece of that action. Guess what? You will have an opportunity today to receive Christ. You will have an opportunity today to make a decision whether you've never heard the gospel before or you used to walk with Jesus and you've walked away and you want to rededicate your life. You will have an opportunity today because Jesus is calling. But for the rest of us, hopefully today you were reminded of this treasure that we found. This treasure that many of us have hidden under a basket and are in some way ashamed of or indifferent about. And maybe this is your call, this is your challenge to begin today as a herald for what God has done in your life. You may not be eloquent like a preacher who gets paid to do this. You may not have it all put together. But you do know who you used to be before the grace of God reached for you. You may not be an expert on Christian theology and doctrine, but you are an expert on your story and how God's love rescued you. How you were on a hopeless road to nowhere with your salvation up to you before the grace of God reached for you. You are an expert in that story. And may we begin today And may we say with boldness, as Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the good news because it is the power of God. And if he can rescue me, he can rescue somebody else. Can I just say this final thing that would you, we just came through six, seven weeks on the Holy Spirit. Can we trust that the same spirit that drew you in is working on the other end of whoever you talk to about, right? That the Spirit's doing the heavy lifting. That if we'd be just bold enough to say, I'm one of them crazy Christians. Can I tell you a few minutes what God's done for me? Uh, Just let the Lord do what he wants to do on the other end. Can we give that a try this week? Why don't you stand with us if you can? And we're going to conclude with a worship song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news, this best news. And may we never forget who we were before you found us. May we never forget who we were and where we were before you found us. May you call to our remembrance that person or those persons who would not shut up about Jesus to us. Who were it not for their witness and were it not for their zeal and excitement, where will we be? And for those who are here today, Lord, who are far from you, would they come to your altar? Would they surrender their hearts to you? Come Holy Spirit.
Whatever we need today, Lord, pour it out. In Jesus' name.